Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. The Law Report with Michael Matsuening Bell, Kaya FM 95.9. Good evening, Afropolitans. My name is Kaya Sitole. Welcome to The Law Report. I'm sitting in for Michael Matsuening Bell on this very momentous occasion in the history of South Africa. It is, of course, the day of our general election the 8th of may 2019 it's been a very long day for some of us we've had to be up very early in the morning to queue up um, and vote in order to be able to come to where we are this is in pretoria at the results election center where there is a hive of activity as you can imagine there's a lot of um, things that are being you know it Uh, interrogated there's a lot of interviews being conducted by various media partners and in front of me is actually just the place where the various political parties are sitting and they all get two or four chairs as i can see and there's a big computer screen in front of them and of course that's where they're going to start observing really the results as they start to trickle in it is of course the last hour of the election so if you are still on your way to vote or perhaps you've just returned from them we'd like to hear from you just to get your insights into really what has been happening over the past what almost 12 hours now actually it's, been, it's more than 12 hours since the polls opened at 7 a.m so of course we all have our particular reflections and if you didn't vote please feel free to engage with us and tell us exactly why you didn't think that participating in this particular election was the thing that you needed to do. Of course, John Pullman has been holding the fort over the past couple of hours. We've had some interesting conversations from the representatives of the IFP, the Economic Freedom Fighters, and of course, the African National Congress. And of course, they are all very anxious. You might not be able to hear it from their voices, but when you see them here, and they're all starting to start imagining what the situation is going to look like once the counting starts and the votes start trickling in. So it's going to be a very tense couple of days particularly for political principles and on KFM we'll be bringing you blow by blow insights into really what we can observe from where we are sitting it is a very privileged position we can actually see the studio that the, the um, the, the stage on my right where all the press briefings are held and behind that there are two big screens where all the results are going to start trickling in. So, of course, what we'll do right now is we're going to dial into our Kaya FM correspondent, Tunisha Jehels, who is currently based in El Dorado Park to give us some insight into what's going on there. Tunisha, it's a long, long night. How are you doing and how's Eldos? Hi, Kaya. Just a small correction there. I did eventually have to leave Aldo's because I had to cover some of the other um, suburbs in the south of Joburg. So I am in Naturina now in front of the um, Correctional Services Center where there's uh, IEC tent here. When I arrived here, the lines were pretty, pretty long, but it is getting um, shorter. And there was a significant amount of young people at this voting station. And at what time did you arrive there for the queues to still be to be quite long? I arrived about a half an hour ago. Okay, and what's the speed? Is it like one person every 10 minutes saying I'm done? Or is it really just picking up pace as more people no, get the, in? No, the, the line the has moved pretty fast. Um, as I said, it's shrunk quite significantly since I arrived here. Um, some of the other voting um, stations that I've checked out at in Mondio as well as Kibler Park were also fairly quiet, but the presiding officers had given um, good feedback saying that um, their lines were spiraling out of the doors and out of the, the voting station's boundary um, this morning. And so it just quieted down as we reach almost the end of our general election voting day. 
And from what you can see, will everybody be done by 9 p.m. or will the station have to remain open? We know obviously everybody who is in the queue is guaranteed to be given access to the voting platform or will they be done by 9 p.m.? So what I've gathered in the south of Johannesburg, and I try to um, cover as much um, places as possible, it does seem that um, these IEC stations around um, the south of Joburg will finish in time, and it does seem that everybody in the lines here will be seen to. Um, because we've had so many reports about the scanners not working today and ballot papers, I have also checked with presiding officers if they've had any issues or challenges with that and um, fortunately in Transport, everything has run off quite smoothly. Okay, that's definitely some very good feedback from our correspondent, Tunisia Jechels, who's been all over the south of Johannesburg today. And, of course, her last stop was El Dorado Park earlier on. And now she is really just getting to see the very last hour of the elections and how they're unfolding. And, of course, we'll keep checking in with her to see how it's all worked out. This is The Law Report. My name is Kas Tolen, and I'm now actually joined by Michael Motsuring Bill, who is now here to actually just talk to us about really this type of election and really what it means to be part of an activity of this nature every five years. I know some of us have been very excited, but I think Michael is a most sober man who's going to be a bit more, you know, sedate in his assessment of what has happened here. And so we'll be co-hosting the show for the remainder of the hour. But quite importantly, we are joined by a heavyweight in studio, someone whom I suspect probably hasn't slept for the better part of this past week. And this is Mr. Teritz Elanim. Some of you will know him as one of the brains behind these general elections that we get to enjoy particularly every five years sir how are you feeling i'm feeling good largely because uh, i can be able to comment about the electoral processes without having to take uh, responsibility for lost ballots and uh, all other uh, challenges and difficulties uh, that uh, the officials of the ic are facing out there and I mean, you've probably observed more elections than most of us, not just general elections, municipal elections, and perhaps a by-election uh, once or twice. What has been your impression about just the 2019 general election? Is this the type of thing that you're like, oh, this is exactly what I anticipated, or have there been some interesting developments and revelations? Uh, very interesting developments and, and revelations, as you say. Uh, the starting point, obviously, is uh, the high level of uh, participation by the political parties in terms of uh, registering to participate and paying the deposit that is required and um, also the low voter turnout compared to all other years so it's interesting that uh, the number of voters has actually gone down uh, registered voters has gone down but uh, the number of political parties has actually gone up if you take for instance in uh, at the national level you've got uh, 48 political parties from 29 in the last elections and uh, also in northwest the provincial ballot has also gone up by 81 percent in Mpumalanga and free state by 75 percent so you are not only talking about uh, the national ballot where you have got more or high number of political parties participating but you've got also at a provincial ballot uh, an unbelievably high number 
of political parties participating in this election. I mean, these are not insignificant numbers. And what intrigues me about that is, of course, we know that the one thing that the IEC did uh, for this particular election season is that it kept the deposits that political parties have to pay the same as they were in 2014. So at least the, the amount of money that is required in order to put your name on either the provincial or even the national ballot has remained the same. But now I'm thinking, how do you then see in one province in particular an over 70% increase in the number of parties that want to participate in the general election? Is this, I know, greater participation by people who say, I'm not happy with what I've seen in the ballot paper. I think that the interests of my constituency will be better represented by an alternative voice. Or is it simply a matter of people over time simply saying, well, actually, this is accessible, this is affordable, let's just do it. I think that there may be two reasons that uh, I, would, I would want to attribute this to. Uh, the first one is the fact that uh, uh, probably the message and uh, the manifestos of political parties do not resonate with many people and therefore uh, there are some within our society who then feel uh, that they would rather represent their own interests because none of the political parties um, really represent their interest. That's the first aspect. But the second aspect is that increasingly uh, you find that uh, the majority of these parties are almost like a breakaway from a certain party. So it means people who are disgruntled with uh, certain practices within a political party, within a particular political party, uh, feel that uh, instead of actually remaining uh, within a party uh, that uh, does things that are at variance uh, with what they believe in, they would rather uh, break away and form their own uh, party. So uh, the factions, uh, the uh, the the intra-party conflict that exists within particularly major political parties uh, is also uh, a factor to take in consideration in terms of accounting for this high number of political parties. Uh, if if um, if I can just um, uh, perhaps uh, good evening to to you, Dr. Telani, uh, and also to the Afropolitan. Um, you you must forgive me, Afropolitan. I might just uh, zone out from time to time because I am sort of. Um, fighting a, a, a bit of a cold but the question that I had is you know I remember the 94 elections it was set down for two days uh, the elections and this one is one day the poor voter turnout is, when I checked it at about 1500 hours today it was sitting somewhere at 17 percent for a lot of a lot of uh, district that's a turnout uh, from the people that are registered could this be attribute, uh, attributed to the fact that we're doing this in one day as opposed to two days? No, I don't think it's really about uh, uh, about that. I mean, look at the, the previous election. Mm. Uh, 99. Uh, look at the voter turnout in 99. Look mm. at the voter turnout in 2004. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, 2014. Mm. The voter turnout has always been relatively very high. Um, so, I'm not too sure that we can attribute this to uh, the fact that uh, we have not increased the, de- the number of days. Mm. Uh, I suspect that the first aspect, as I've indicated, is that political parties that are there, uh, their, mes- their, their messages do not really resonate with the electorate. And um, you've got a very high number of young people uh, who are now in the system who are supposed to be participating in the process, but the political parties 
do not have the capacity to speak in a language uh, that young people understand. Uh, they also are not able to speak properly in the platforms mm. uh, that uh, young people understand. And I, I'm, I'm saying this thing because I know that uh, people will be saying, but this political party is uh, in, on Twitter, it is uh, on this. But that is not the point. Yeah, that's not a vote. Uh, yeah, but mm. it's also how do you speak even there? Because uh, you you may be there, but the language, it's not a language that really resonates with young people. Uh, people can see it's like you have been invited to a platform where you really don't belong. So this major political parties, even though they've taken advantage of social media, uh, they come as visitors who are trying to take over uh, the social media without really understanding the mechanics uh, of social media and issues that affect the young people and making sure that they can address their issues. And I think it's also uh, the dichotomy between, you know, this young and old mm. and the capacity and the fact that the majority of political parties are led by old people mm. who are unable to comprehend uh, the situation of young people. And, and, and I suppose one could look at it like that, but as you speak, one of the things that I'm wondering is from the fact that we have 48 political parties, I would imagine that one of them, you know, all of the 48 parties, each of them speak to a different constituency. So when you speak about young people, we know that the EFF is a predominantly young um, uh, party. And, and I could see a lot of messages being conveyed by different parties. So would it be then so that none of the 48 parties are able to speak uh, or they're all just missing the point because 48, one would assume they, there are divergent views, divergent interests and mandates. Uh, you know, the number of political parties that are registered in South Africa, it's actually about 560 uh, political parties. Uh, all of them having their own orientation, their own uh, areas of focus. Uh, and I know that uh, you can have uh, an organization that uh, is led by youth, but still mimic the tendencies of old political formations. And I think, Mr. Tselani, for me, one of the interesting issues that I've always sort of been intrigued by is that, of course, we speak about the political parties and how they interact with particularly the young voters. But I would have thought that perhaps an organization, a neutral structure like the IEC, would have been the one that champions just the idea of getting young people to be interested in engaging in a democracy. And the question of party ideology then becomes a question of what happens when you get to the ballot. But I think a lot of them are struggling to get people to even join up the queue, simply because if it's a political party that I perhaps feel, you know, that is ideal or its philosophies do not resonate with me. I don't even engage with the message beyond what I see on a social media platform. But perhaps an entity like the IEC is able to sort of galvanize me to actually and say, I will go and queue up. And even if I haven't decided by the time I get there, there will be something on the ballot paper. Have we missed something there? Yeah, there are two issues. Uh, The IEC is not immune from the same criticism that I've just leveled against the political parties. Uh, I remember when I initiated the social media policy for the organization, uh, I was criticized by everybody and they felt uh, that I was uh, bringing something into the organization that was really uh, alien uh, to the culture of the organization. So I struggled 
uh, to push the organization and I kept on trying to say to them, guys, uh, look at this organization. It's such a great organization. You don't even have presence on Instagram. You don't even have presence. But even when you are trying to post on Instagram, uh, whatever you post there is so dull that it is almost, uh, you know, something that uh, does, unappealing. It, it's unappealing. You know, and then, I mean, there, there, there is a time when the IC had only like eight posts on Instagram. And by that time, I had about 1,000 as an individual and say, I have more posts on Instagram mm. uh, than the organization. So mm. uh, it's an issue. But that's the a, that's a first issue. Sure. Uh, the second issue is that just as a country, because we've got so many competing interests within the society, when budgets are allocated to organizations, uh, it is often for operational costs, and therefore whatever little you have, uh, you then allocate to road education. So mm. road education programs right. have been really, really uh, not been... Prioritized. Been, yeah. Where, where do we lose the, the vote? Because as far as I remember, there were celebrations around um, around uh, sort of the progress that we've made or IEC has made in, in getting new registrations. And my curiosity is that are we losing them at registration stage or are we losing them at voting stage? And I, and I want us to tackle that question when we come back. Kaya FM is broadcasting live from the Electoral Commission Results Operation Center. Kaya FM 2019 election coverage. The informed choice. Welcome back to the Law Report. My name is Michael Matuning Bill. And I'm joined, um, co-hosting with me is um, Mr. Stoller, who, um, knowing that my voice will at some point fail me, has um, agreed to, to help me with the show. And we are joined um, in the studio by Mr. Terry Zelani, and you'll know him from the IEC. But now, he's from the Institute of Election Management Services of South Africa. And uh, Dr. Zelani, before we took a break, I was uh, exploring the, the, the question of, in view of this voter turnout that we have now experienced, where do we lose the votes do we lose them at the level of registration or do we lose them at, at voting because because as i see it, it it's something that happens post registration we we, we lose it uh, at the level of registration okay. and i'll tell you uh, what uh, internally in the organization i kept on saying to the team because i used to have to hit the electoral operations uh, as commissioners would have different areas that we're responsible for. So one of the areas that I was responsible for was electoral operations. And I would sit with the team from management and I say to them, uh, tell me why do we still have a provision in law uh, that say a person must register in person at the voting station? Um, and I said, you know, in my opinion, there's a hindrance in a sense that uh, young people don't want to go in queue just to register uh, we have to find mechanism uh, through which we can reach them so fortunately uh, that aspect after i waged uh, this struggle um, was removed yeah. uh, so uh, in the amendments that uh, were passed i think uh, sometime in november uh, you would notice that uh, now 
it does not require you to be at the voting station in person. And in my opinion, it begins to open uh, possibilities uh, for uh, new uh, registration methodologies that could actually be utilized. I don't understand why um, I cannot register from a cell phone uh, to be a voter. I don't understand what happens uh, during the registration process to the extent that people really want to see you. Uh, I can understand when uh, it is voting, maybe, maybe for some time they, they want to see you, that it is you voting, but registration, I just don't understand. Mm, mm. And it's an issue that I've really been uh, fighting and saying, uh, allow young people to be able to register wherever they are. If they want to register from their university rooms or wherever they are, let them do so without having to go and queue. And that's where we are losing young people. Yeah, and I suspect, I mean, even if you look at how we used to get our identity documents, it used to be a very laborious process of going to home affairs, but I think over the past couple of years, there's been that modernization drive where you can now even go and do the online application and then go and collect from a bank, for example, which is something that didn't exist before. And I suppose it might be a slow evolution of how bureaucratic processes across government work, but I do suspect that we are now facing a crisis of legitimacy of the electoral process when young people simply say, whatever it is, that you say needs to be done in order to get us there, it is not working. And we need to be far more responsive to what the modern circumstances are. We have to cater to the electorate that we have rather than the electorate that we wish we had. And I just feel that as the IEC, we just haven't got there yet. Absolutely. You know, uh, there was something very ridiculous about uh, uh, certain political leaders. Uh, they, they went to a stadium and they were debbing. Uh, it, it looked ridiculous in reality because uh, even though the intention was tried uh, trying to attract young people. Yeah, so you it, you're to dance yeah, <laughs> it looked really, really ridiculous because firstly, this is not these people. I mean, you know that these people don't do this every day and they don't behave like this every day. They're just doing this thing uh, for, for that particular moment. So uh, commissions as well, the electoral commissions, uh, they must also start moving away from having advertisements, uh, trying to have uh, young people uh, doing something, but when the overall orientation of an organization and the messaging in all other aspects is still archaic, yeah. uh, stale, and representing old uh, values. Uh, so if you, 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 you want to change an organization, it's, you're not going to be changing it uh, with three adverts uh, showing three young uh, people saying, uh, it's cool, let's go vote. Mm. Uh, change the whole orientation of an organization so that when people look at that organization, uh, they can see that this organization resonates with us. Is this a challenge that faces um, South Africa? So, for example, the issue of trying to get young people to be interested in politics and and political leadership. Is it a is it a problem that's unique to South Africa? Because in my observation, it seems like every you know every part every country out there that is certainly in our media has the exact same problem and. And, and I'm, I'm wondering is, is it, 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 whether my take is, is, is somewhat accurate. Are there countries that are getting it right where there is good youth voter turnout um, and, and, and the, the, there is some kind of balance between the people that are registered versus the people that eventually vote? I think it's an international problem. It's an international problem. Everybody's struggling with that. In fact, in the U.S., it's worse. I mean, look at the people who are helping uh, during uh, voting. I mean, yeah. 
it's almost like people who are like 86. Yeah. They are the electoral officers. Uh, so the world as a whole is struggling with this uh, uh, challenge uh, where the youth are the majority and the people who are in control of the levers of power and messaging and everything are old people mm. and um, they want the youth they want the youth to be part of uh, the process but to the extent that the uh, youth uh, come to a party to which they've been invited mm. yeah and those are very important insights that you'd hope that the powers that be are listening to um afropolitans you are listening to the Law Report with Michael Motonengro. My name is Kaiser Tolle, sitting in with Michael, and we are joined in studio by Mr. Teddy Zelane, who, of course, has got very unique insights into the electoral process. He was a commissioner of the IC for a very long time, and is just giving us some insights into what really might be the contributing factors besides what we are increasingly identifying to be a very low voter turnout, particularly amongst young people. And, of course, this is something that is not unique to South Africa, we've just heard. It is a problem across the world at large, but perhaps as a South African democracy, we cannot afford not to do something about it. And I think that perhaps over the next couple of years um, or even three years, we should actually just find a way of dismantling the way we're doing things. Otherwise, I think the turnout that we're seeing today will be even lower in the future. And, and you know, it, it, it's, it's quite true. And, and, you know, one thing that I was, I was worried about there, uh, that Zilani is, um, let, let's take, for example, Africa. Um, um, What's the, you know, we have issues of um, elections um, uh, over there and, and having, having served in a government capacity and now having now gone into a private space uh, yourself, you've, you've accumulated all of this experience over the years. Is it your intention to um, uh, take your skills, your knowledge and your abilities into the rest of Africa? Because we know that some of the problems that we are speaking of here are, are, are greater in, in other parts of Africa. Absolutely. I mean, uh, when we established this organization, uh, or when I imagined uh, this organization, uh, I thought of an organization that was going to be able to uh, help uh, to create a new uh, continent Mm. and and then uh, create new values um, in democracy and uh, electoral processes. And hopefully, uh, with uh, the kind of the support and uh, the vision that we have and share mm-hmm. will be able to uh, push the continent uh, to the next level. And unfortunately, it's probably something that hasn't worked out in the way that we wish it had worked out. And I do think that not only should South African leaders be listening to this, but perhaps the, will, the leaders of Africa at large. And, you know, as the population gets younger, we are seeing this and the access to information and the consumption of information becomes a bit different. It is inconceivable that the electoral systems which underpin really the viability of democracies themselves, it's inconceivable that that particular part of the system can fail to adapt to the times. And I do think that we need to be able to champion the conversation beyond today. Of course, the biggest pro- problem that we have is that somebody is going to win the election today and that person who wins the election today might not see this as a crisis because, hey, they've got the seats in Parliament, so the sense of urgency actually is going to wane as soon as we're done with this conversation, Mr. Talan. It is true. Um, uh, we've got immediate issues that we've got to deal with and uh, hopefully those people who come into uh, uh, power, uh, who are elected and get to, to office, uh, they will begin to realize that uh, unless they do something about having to change the orientation of our society, uh, they may not have anybody voting for them in the next elections. Uh, 
the young people in this country uh, constitute the biggest uh, population mm-hmm. and they've got uh, particular issues that affect them and therefore all the political parties have got to come up with a message and orientation not just a message because you see sometimes dealing with this thing as though it's a marketing thing it's a problem uh, we're not talking about marketing thing we're talking about political parties going through introspection and changing their orientation in order uh, to uh, be focused on issues that affect young people I mean, just one last issue that a lot of listeners have been wondering about, the role of, of observers in an election of this nature. Can you just clarify for us, you know, how exactly are observer missions constituted? What becomes their role in, in a democracy of, of this nature? I mean, some people are hearing that in some places they saw videos, you know, things go viral of things that were going in a bit of an interesting way. How does that whole interaction within, between the observers, the presiding officers and the electorate actually works? The role of the observers basically is to ensure the integrity of the process. So election observation is an instrument in law uh, that is there to safeguard the sanctity of a vote. Now, unfortunately in the continent, remember where we come from as a continent. We come from a very uh, difficult history. It's a history firstly of uh, slavery, of colonialism, of cold war, uh, of liberation uh, movements taking over and once they are there in power, uh, they don't want to share power with any other person. And then we find ourselves in, 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 in that kind of uh, an environment. So uh, the majority of election observers in the African continent, they are looking at conflict and peace instead of actually looking at the integrity of the elections. I've been saying we've got to move away from uh, looking at whether we've got democracy in the continent but having to audit the quality of that democracy. And unfortunately the election observers uh, uh, largely in the African continent have not actually been able to do that. So I've been taking some few, I was training some and then I had discussions with uh, good like with President uh, Goodluck Jonathan yesterday um, and now I'm saying there are four things that determine the integrity of the elections and observer mission because he's setting a particular observer mission he said must focus on this issue is the integrity of the voters role integrity of electoral staff integrity of uh, 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 logistics and the political environment those four aspects are the aspects that they've got to look into. But unfortunately, the majority of them, because of the history of where we come from, they focus only on conflict. Mm. And they say the elections were peaceful and free and fair. Uh, But if you ask them deeper questions, they don't know what it means. One of the things... uh, uh, Sorry... um so, so one of the things that struck me, for example, there's two incidences with regard to uh, a lot of the voting stations. The first issue was the scanners that don't work. And the other issue um, was them running out of ballot papers. I mean, I started hearing reports of ballot papers running out as early as 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. So that's three, three hours into an election, you're already running out of ballot papers. And that means that somebody must come with the ballot paper from somewhere. It, it gave me a sense that perhaps this is not one, you know, our, our best work from, from an election-wise, uh, from an election point of view, if you're going to have such elementary issues in the face of 
low voter turnout. So the question would then be, what if we'd had the turnout that was projected? How much more hiccups would we have had? So, so there's, there's that view. But the other view is that this is just an ordinary hiccup that is an ordinary course of running a mammoth election as of this nature, and it is, it is within the bounds of reasonableness. What is your take? I think uh, South African people are really uh, justified in raising issues about the quality of an election to the extent that if things don't go right, like you say, they raise those issues. Mm. And we can't continue dismissing them as uh, things that are integral to the elections as though all these problems and difficulties and and, 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 and uh, 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 you know, they've got to be there as an integral part of uh, running a logistics. The truth of the matter is that where the commission may have gone wrong, it's in relation to Section 24A. Yeah. Um, by the way, Section 24A has always been there. Uh, but in 2014, when we ran the, those elections, we said we are not going to be promoting it. We're going to tell people you have to vote where you are registered. You know why this is important? And this is the basis of a voter's role, uh, by the way. Uh, it helps you to plan your logistics. You know that uh, 3,000 people have registered here, and therefore it is 3,000 people that you've got to cater for. Okay? But if you say to people, no, it does not really matter, go anywhere you want to go, you don't know how many people are going to turn up at the particular station. They may be... You may have catered for 3,000 and 5,000 people come or 10,000 people come because any person can come to those uh, kind of areas. Now, Section 24A, it's a problem firstly. <coughs> it's archaic and I understand why it was introduced in the first place, but it's archaic. It's no longer relevant. It should have been removed a long time ago. Okay? Uh, because our systems have improved and therefore uh, we should not be having it. Uh, but to promote it in the manner that it has been promoted, it has brought... Uh, operational difficulties for the commission uh, to the extent now if you go to a particular area other than the area that you you registered at and the scanner is not working it's a problem mm. and it's a fundamental problem because how on earth uh, will the commission know that you are actually registered or not registered all right, let's, let, on that note, let's take a break and when we come back, we continue our chat. Broadcasting live from the Electoral Commission Results Operation Center. Kaya FM 2019 election coverage. The informed choice. Welcome back, Afropolitans. This is the Law Report with Michael Motoneng. Bill, today he's in tandem with Kaya Toilet because, of course, it's a big day. It is the general election of the country and we need as many hands on deck as possible. So that's why we're doing this in tandem. We've just been speaking about really just the electoral cycle. We've been, uh, we've been having a conversation with Mr. Terry Talane, who, of course, gave us very important insights into really how the process works. And one of the parts of the conversation, Michael, was really on this idea of this explosion of these new political parties that have showed up on the ballot. Mm-hmm. I've never seen anything as long as the ballot that I saw today. Mm-hmm. And of course, one of the people that made this happen is Mr. Kantan Pile, whose party, the ZACP, was new on the ballot today. And he joins us now in studio to tell us exactly why he felt that they needed an alternative voice on the ballot. Good evening, Mr. Pile. Good evening, gentlemen. What are you doing and on the ballot? Good evening to the Afropolitans as well. Yeah. What I'm doing on the ballot is uh, uh, a group of us found ourselves in um, around about June of last year with no one to vote for. 
and it really was that uh, simple. So we said, well, perhaps it's time we actually put our feet into the swimming pool mm. at the same time because we got tired of having people sitting in parliament. Essentially, we've got 400 people who sit in parliament. And as far as I'm concerned, those 400 people are each earning a million rand a year. And ask yourself how many of them can step out of parliament and find employment in the private sector where they will earn as much. And for the 10 of us, we are effectively taking cuts in pay in order to get into parliament. But we think it's time that business people who know how to fix things actually get into public service and start doing things. So I, it could just be on a light note, but, you know, you ask how many of them would be able to earn that kind of money in private sector. I mean, if you take me, for example, how much, you know, how much good would I do in politics? I think perhaps isn't it, is, is the point not that everybody is carved out for different things? Yes. Because I, I know so yes, that struggle in politics. I, I take the view that they are drastically overpaid in terms of the value for money that they bring yeah. to us. Because, look, as business people, I think I can certainly take a view in terms of whether they are providing value for money in terms of the job description. And obviously, if they were in the private sector, I think all of us know that you actually have key performance indicators that you are expected to abide by and end up producing value for money. And in the private sector, if you do not end up performing as per spec, then you ship out. Politics is the only field where you sign a contract of employment and then for the next five years, if you do not pitch up for work or if you do not speak to anyone, nothing actually happens. Yeah. You, there, there's no accountability whatsoever. Yeah. And I think what, what, one of the interesting things that you mentioned there is that, of course, you said and you said we've got no one to vote for. Let us go and put our names on the ballot. And, and, and I suspect that that, tends, that sense of frustration is universal. There's a lot of people who feel like that. But, of course, there's a reality is that, is that not everybody can then say, I'm going to put my name on the ballot. That's exactly right. 5,000 rand is what it takes. To no, no, no. But it's, it's, not the, it's not the money issue. You see, the, the issue really is if you consider now if you happen to be, let's say, a chartered accountant, mm-hmm. okay, and you're working for a blue chip company and you're earning a, a significant amount of money, now are you going to give up your career where you're already on the path to advancement and now take up a position in parliament that's going to put your career on hold for a five-year period? So in order to find appropriate candidates who were able to join us in this journey, they had to be very specific types of people. They had to be people who were effectively owning businesses and running their own businesses but they could afford to step back from their business let the business continue running itself while they join us in parliament effectively doing a a period of community service in in one line just to sort of bring me up to speed with with your with your mission you at, at a point you sat and you say there is no party that represents me or an an ideal for which i stand in one line, what is that one thing? I, I, no doubt there could be many, but what is the most critical of them that you said, well, we're not represented in this regard and that's what we want to tackle? Value for money. It really is that simple, value for money. Out of every 100 rand right now that we generate in tax revenue, government is taking 34 rand to pay themselves, the public service wage bill. And I think that, you know, certainly if you look at myself and my colleagues, the 10 of us that we fielded, we all take the view that we don't actually begrudge paying the tax. But are the people of our country getting value for the money? And that is the big problem that we have. And we are saying government spends money in a way that is totally absurd. And 
the role that we intend playing is we sit in the parliamentary portfolio committees and we oversee every single decision that takes place within those portfolio committees. So every time a single rand of taxpayer money is being spent, we are able to apply the logic that we have in terms of having successfully run businesses ourselves. And we'll say, actually, no, the amount of money you're spending here, it's completely outrageous. For example, the question of the school toilets, which was one of the triggers for me of getting in the pit toilets, because uh, there was this five-year-old girl, Lumkam Ketwa, who died a most horrendous death, drowning in a pit toilet. And then you ask the Minister of Education, this was by law supposed to be fixed in 2016. And she says, no, we can't fix it. We need an additional 10 billion rand, and we don't know when it's going to be fixed. And we took a look at this, and we said, actually, we can fix this thing in six months for less than a billion rand. It, it, it's the numbers that are so simple. Yeah, and I think, Canton, also one of the key issues, of course, with the new um, you know, political parties coming into the ballot is that for a lot of people that feel disaffected with the existing status quo, they simply don't engage in the electoral process. Now, of course, whenever you hear there's a new voice, it is that type of voice that is then supposed to reignite this belief in the electoral system from particularly young people and say, oh, finally, there's a voice that speaks to me. Have you found that perhaps in your campaigning you've been able to sort of tap into the disaffected voters as well, people that said, we weren't going to do this, but now we were looking at it again. I, I, think that, I think that's exactly the niche market that we managed to hit because mm-hmm. I, I think for the first time we were probably the only party that was coming onto the scene that was not doing finger pointing. So, I mean, right now if you look in terms of the mainstream players, everyone points fingers at each other and they say, you know, ANC corruption is a problem, DA corruption is a problem, EFF corruption is the problem. And our view is actually let's just work on the assumption that the corruption is there. Now we need to put a stop to it. We need to move forward. And what can we do that's going to take us forward, that's actually going to boost the economy, fix the country, instead of a finger-pointing exercise? So, and I think that is a message that resonated particularly with young people because of the, for the first time, you know, the, the, the messaging over the past elections was always against something. Mm. So it was stop Zuma, okay, yes. or we are against racism and all of those things. And that, it's nice to hear what, and, what, and what the value proposition is. Exactly. Not so in a negative forward, yeah. Let me thank you very much, uh, Mr. Campton Pillay from the... ZACP party. Thank you so much for joining us on KFM. An absolute pleasure, gentlemen. All right, so we want to move on to, to our next guest. Uh, and, and as you can imagine, we're broadcasting from the IEC Hall at the Twenty Event Center. So this is not our usual comfort zone. We are sort of uh, put as the media above and we can see all the, the, the buzz and activity happening um, on the ground where various parties um, are represented and there's going to be a big screen or there is a, a big screen that has three sets of screens that will be sort of telling us the results as soon as um, uh, um, uh, the counting starts which starts uh, promptly after nine you know that uh, the voting stations are going to be closing at nine o'clock from then onwards um, the counting starts and we're going to be um, able to bring that to you um, live from the IEC center in, in Twani. Okay so we're going to move on to our next guest yeah, so one of the interesting things that has actually been a big talking point around elections is really the question of who has the conversations around elections. You're on Twitter, you're on Facebook, you are able to have particular conversations. And what that does, it does tend to create this particular vacuum where people think that the conversations they're having with themselves have become universal conversations. And I think for me, one of the things that's been missing is really the grassroots voice, the voice of the people who do not have the data to go and fight a minister on Twitter and get into a Twitter war with a minister who, you know, know does particular things Somebody like some of saying, us do 
Ipi, Ipi Baba. Yeah, you know, those type of people to whom, you know, the bread and butter issues matter. And for me, the one part of our ecosystem that plays a very significant role is really just the role of community radio mm. and perhaps community communications networks, whether it's the local newspaper, where people actually can read stories about themselves, about things that matter most to, themso- to themselves. So I think for me, um, Telcom actually came up with this idea that perhaps as part of this particular election campaign, they need to actually bring, you know, people from that angle, people who are actually engaged with the issues on the ground and say, let us give you access to this big abstract thing that you keep seeing on national television and actually say, this is how you can be part of it. So we're now joined in studio by a journalist who's actually part of that particular project. And this is Mr. Vusingosi, who represents Hope FM in Bumalanga, the land of the sunrise. It's called Sunrise. It's actually a voice of Hope FM. A voice of Hope FM yes. from Bumalanga. Yes. Sir, tell us about how you ended up participating in this telecom exercise. Um, firstly, I would love to first uh, uh, thanks, uh, give a uh, word of thanks to Telcom for giving us this pl- uh, platform and opportunity to, to be here. Uh, in most cases, um, community media is left out yeah. when it comes to uh, election coverage. We have to rely on big um, uh, 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 mediums uh, for stories, reactions from different political parties. So it is actually a great platform for us to be here. I just wish that even going forward, we can get more community radio stations uh, to come and be a part and parcel of this project. And of course, Telcom has identified 15 journalists from the coast, across the country yes. representing different community media. I mean, what have been the processes that you guys have been sort of exposed to, the type of training and really just access to resources that you wouldn't have had without the intervention of Telcom? Firstly, um, Telcom was very straight up. They told us that as much as we are budding uh, uh, community media, but we need to be serious with our job, firstly. Take it serious. Uh, always ensure that uh, every single detail you verify it, firstly. Uh, in order for one, uh, one's community medium to be respected, you firstly have to respect yourself with the kind of content that you're giving out to your listeners and to your audience. And I think, obviously, in the age of fake news, that's probably even yes. more important. But I think, for me, the phenomenon of fake news actually is really an intersection of two issues. And the issue is just the sense of urgency with which people want to communicate. So if something happens at, at 3 p.m., you cannot afford to wait until the next day to communicate about it because by the time you get to 8 p.m., that's an old story. So, of course, that puts a particular pressure on journalists in particular to say, let me actually put out this version of the story. And, of course, in some instances, you then compromise just the process of interrogation, the process of testing your sources, and then saying, I now believe that this story has been sufficiently corroborated for me to put it out there. How do you deal with this particular issue? Um, firstly, uh, we, we, we had a similar workshop yesterday whereby... Um, we had a colleague from Amapungane who's an investigative journalist. Uh, she put this thing actually across us that let this, uh, let's say that we are here at the elections uh, operations center. And then it happens that you see a WhatsApp uh, message circulating on social media that, hey, uh, the ANC maybe has won. I'm making an example. The ANC has just won. Uh, what do you then do? Do you run with the story as a community, uh, a community journalist? Or maybe you go out and verify, but if you're maybe pressed against the time, uh, you cannot uh, go and check maybe with that political party. You cannot go and check with the IEC. 
you put it across in your reporting that um, word has it we are seeing these uh, circulating messages on social media that this is happening at the IEC but it's not confirmed these are the smaller uh, technical terms For that sure. usually make us uh, community media to fumble in most in most cases thank you very much uh, yes. uh, you know what what impresses me <laughs> yeah. is, is 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 when we get to a point where um, you know corporate uh, co- corporate people uh, co- cooperate with mainstream issues because yeah. I mean you for you to leave your, your nice building in Centurion and find yourself uh, talking to community radio stations and actually getting them to, to, to be taken seriously. And, and a lot of them have been and, do, and doing well. But it's not just that. It's the role that they've also been playing in these elections. Yeah, I mean, and I think also, you know, for me, when big business steps up and actually says, let us actually do something that benefits society at large, it's something that we hardly ever see. And I think Telcom has actually done a very good job of that. And I think we have a caller, actually, who's trying to participate in this conversation. And this is Kenelo from Centurion. Kenelo, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Yes. Uh, please give us your insights and your comments. Um, well, I just voted. It's been such a long day. I just literally got out of the voting booth today. Um, I've covered quite a number of areas today and this is my last one. Um, this is in Tendisa and Ebony Park. Um, there are still about a number of people in the queue. Um, I can't really estimate, but I think it's about hundreds of people who are still in the queue. Um, what they've done actually here is that they've separated uh, these queues into two where there are just ordinary people here who are here to vote and people who are pregnant and people, the elderly and people with children. So that is kind of making the process go faster. Okay, so it's becoming much smoother towards the end. Yeah, it seems so. It seems so. Um, eventually, people are seeming, they're getting exhausted because they've been here for about two, three hours and they've been standing in the queue. Also, we had a situation where now uh, there aren't two boxes anymore for your national ballot paper and for your provincial one. So we're just putting it in one box. Um, also something that was kind of, uh, you know, worrying. Whoa. But I did ask the, the presiding officers and they said they ran out of boxes. Which 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 uh, VD is that? Um, this is an Ebony Park. This is Ebony Park Primary School in Midrand. Well, that's, that's really concerning, eh? That, that's, that's concerning, um, indeed. Yeah. It is concerning. But the other thing that's concerning, I mean, you know, can we rightfully expect South African citizens to be in a queue for, for three hours? I mean, personally, I was in a queue for an hour and a half. Um, and, and after trying to get the least congested voting station, because, you know, I, I, the time was running out. It was a, a very short day for me personally. So, so are, are these, you know, can we legitimately expect South Africans to sit in a queue for that long? I don't know. I, think, I don't know. I, yeah. But I think also the issue here, what I realized is that there are people who didn't register at this particular primary school or the polling station. So mm. that is also kind of um, adding to the people that the polling station had already expected. So it's people from neighboring areas who just decided to come here. So that's also another delay because then you have to fill out a form to say, where did you register, you mm. know, um, get them, give them your, you know, your address just to verify if you are from anywhere around in this area so you could vote. 
All right, thank you very much. That's Kenelo Huma from for KFM giving us insights into the voting process in the Midland area, and of course, this idea that we are out of boxes and we're now lumping the provincial and the yes. national ballot together. It's concerning for me, but of course, that's what the ICE is going to have to deal with. Afropolitans, we are actually speaking to Vusingosi, who is one of the journalists from the community media forum, who's been sponsored by Telcom to join this region, this national, you know, results center to actually then filter, you know, what happened here to the community of Mpumalanga. He is actually part of 15 journalists that have been brought up here by Telcom in a very groundbreaking initiative that really acknowledges the fact that perhaps the most important conversations that are happening out there at the grassroots level never make their way up here. And of course, I think, Vusi, it will be a very important um, process for you to then go back to your community radio station and then sort of share the (coughs) insights that you've learned from here and then actually hopefully improve the way that the media communications happens in your environment. Yeah, I believe that uh, we need more of such projects, especially in our communities, most especially rural communities. Um, There are many trends uh, which are not basically speaking about people, um, rural people at that, I'm sorry, uh, but it's actually rural people. We need more uh, fruitful content when it comes to community media don't just consume anything but consume something that is going to add value to your life your morals uh, your thinking be just 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 uh, uh, being a person that is going to be able to think freely without any person coming to impose because one of one of the things that we tend to have as as as, as south africans in most cases uh, as soon as I hear something that is being said by Kaya, already I'm concluding that it's like that. Yeah, of course you can do that with Kaya Fem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think obviously I think we've also run out of time. Yeah, this initiative by Telcom definitely deserves to be lauded, and I think um, Vusi, I mean, from what we've heard from you, this has been definitely a good learning experience, and we hope that each of your other 15 colleagues does, does share the same sentiment, and this eventually filters into amplifying and really refining the conversations in the different communities that you guys are engaged in. And on that note, Afropolitans, this has been the Law Report with Michael Mutsuning Bill and Kaya. Toller who sneaked himself into the conversation. It is elections day. We're at the IEC Results Center. KFM will be here for the next couple of days giving you day by day or I say hour by hour insights into really how minute electoral outcomes are, mm-hmm. are shaping up. Of course, we do not know what the situation will look like in 24 hours from here. The voting process is supposed to start in a few minutes because the Ballots are closing across the country at 9 p.m. And as soon as that happens, we assume that the counting starts and that's when the tensions will rise. Michael? Yeah, just on a parting note, I mean, something that Ginelo said is that he estimated there's about 100 people that are still in a queue. It is 9 o'clock, um, so one does wonder how that is going to be handled. Um, um, but hopefully everybody gets, gets, a, gets, a, gets a chance um, uh, to vote despite the fact that the clock has hit 9 uh, that's the law report. Thank you so much, Kaya. You, you know, if I had to do this uh, by myself today, I know I certainly wouldn't. My, my voice would have failed me at some point or another as it's doing as we speak. So thank you very much, my brother. And uh, to you, the Afropolitan, uh, we look forward to being with you again next week. Hopefully, I'll be feeling better. Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.